0: interesting that he's talking about another realm a spiritual realm outside of this world and he says that spiritual realm called Hades the land of the departed souls that will not prevail against my church from that one verse alone we understand the church that Jesus was going to build would be indestructible. Nothing could defeat it. Nothing has defeated it. The church established 2,000 years ago still stands today, metaphorically speaking, as a building, as a temple, but it represents you and me. We're still standing. We're still part of that group. That was established on the day of Pentecost. And so, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Essentially, there Jesus is really talking about Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. That's the passage that Caden just read to us. Although he read from verse 36 to verse 44, the emphasis on that chapter is about four world kingdoms. And Daniel had been called to King Nebuchadnezzar to interpret the dream for him that Nebuchadnezzar had. None of his magicians could tell him what his dream meant. But he knew that one could. So he called Daniel. And Daniel comes and he says, Oh, The first part of that dream is about you, O King Nebuchadnezzar. You're the kingdom of gold. You're that that mighty kingdom. But after you will come another kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom. And then after that kingdom will come another kingdom, the kingdom of the Greeks, the Grecian kingdom. Alexander the Great, he will come. He will conquer the world. And secular history tells us that Alexander the Great at the age of 22 years old had conquered all the world and he cried because there were no more worlds to conquer. And then after him was the fourth kingdom, the Roman kingdom. And he says, in those days, the days of those kings, I will set up a kingdom. And it will never be destroyed. And we turn to the New Testament. And we find. That there were two people. Who put Jesus on the cross. The Jews. Give us Barabbas. Crucified Jesus. So they put Jesus. On the cross. But it was under the. Legal authority of who? The Romans. And it was the ruling leader in Jerusalem who washed his hands of the whole matter and said, yeah, go ahead. You can have Jesus. and You can do with him what you will. Of course, they crucified him. Pontius Pilate washed his hands Of the whole matter. And so we find that the head of the church that he was going to build was going to be put to death. But then we read that he arose from the dead. We sing that song. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. That's why we assemble today. That's what we just did in memorializing that one who died for you and for me, but who rose. And he established his church, his kingdom. And so we find, as Jesus is talking to Peter and the apostles in Matthew chapter 16, when he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. So he's going to build his church. And yet he's going to give the keys of the kingdom. To Peter and the apostles. And he says whatever you loose on earth. Loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth. Shall have been bound in heaven. In other words. When you preach. You're preaching the entrance into the church, into the kingdom. And so they had the keys. And Peter used those keys on the day of Pentecost. When you recall, the people that day heard that they had crucified the Christ, they realized they were guilty of all that. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, here's the keys. Here it is. Open that gate to the prison of death. And he says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. For what you've done to Jesus. Can you feel the relief in the crowd? If you were standing there, could you get that? Oh, thank you. I can be saved still. because." I have put death to Messiah. And even though I've done that, I can still be saved. And so Jesus began his church that day. Because the Bible tells us that those who were added to the number were added to the church by the Lord himself. Those who were being saved. So the day of Pentecost is the pivotal day in Bible history. And really in all of history. And so Jesus began building his church on that day. But it was a church called the kingdom. See, those two words are interchangeable, kingdom and the church. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about that as we talk about the church of Christ. Here we learn from a reminder from what we talked about earlier that salvation is in Christ. He says, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, and that that they also may attain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. So salvation is in Christ Jesus. So how do we get into Christ Jesus? For as many have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Therefore, you are in Christ Jesus through the means of, of baptism salvation is in the church of christ why well if you're in christ you're in the church which is his body christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body so as a reminder once again jesus died for the entire world from beginning to end think about that he died for every woman and every man Died for their sins of the entire population that has ever existed and ever will exist on the face of the earth, and yet not everybody is in Christ, and not everybody is in his church, because he is the savior of what of the entire world? No, he's the savior of the body, the church. This tells me I need to be in that body. I need to be in that church the very thing that he said he was going to build. And to put a little emphasis on that, a little exclamation point, Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he purchased the church with his own blood. He didn't purchase the world with his own blood. He died for everybody, but he's the savior of the, body he's the savior of the church and he purchased the church with his own blood so two passages of scripture that tell us where we need to be we need to be in christ and we need to be in his body and that's all done by virtue of being baptized into christ he's the head of the body he's the head the head of the church which he said he was going to build. The ecclesia, the called out ones. That's translated church. Therefore we have the church of Christ or the body of Christ. And the body is the church. And there's only one body and there's only one church. What makes the difference? We have thousands of churches across America. How do we know Which one we're supposed to belong to? Just we pick and choose. Whoever has the better church building. Whoever has a funner experience. Whoever has the best worship. What makes the difference? The truth. The truth. Jesus was talking about If you're going to be my disciples, then you better abide or continue or remain in my word. And then he equates word with truth. When he says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. His word is truth. That makes all the difference. So we look to the truth. We look to the word of God and we say, what did they do? What did they do? And who am I talking about? Well, the people that we read about in the New Testament. We can go to the epistles. For instance, the church at Corinth. Or we can go to the churches of Ephesus. Or the churches of Galatia. And we can read about all these churches that Paul wrote to. What were they doing? What were they practicing? What were they preaching? What were they teaching? And then I look at those passages and I and I say, Are we doing those things? I mean, we can look, and they took the Lord's Supper. Well, when did they take it, Doug? Says on the first day of the week. What did they do? They practiced baptism. That's how one was made a member of the Lord's church. Now, the Lord's Church is the church that houses everybody. But there are congregations of the Lord's Church scattered throughout the world. Again, there's a church at Corinth, the Church of Christ at Corinth. There's a Church of Christ at Rome. There's a Church of Christ in Ephesus. There's a Church of Christ in Galatia. We read about those. But there's also now today, there's a Church of Christ in Gore. There's a church of Christ in Muskogee, Fort Smith, Hartford, Connecticut, Hong Kong, China. There's churches around the world, congregations of the Lord's church. Paul said that he went to all the churches and he taught them the exact same. Things. That's what makes the difference. So, whatever the church in Jerusalem was doing was also being done in Corinth, in Rome, and so forth. And Lord willing, and hopefully, that's being done here in Gore, Hong Kong, San Francisco. There's even churches in Russia. You have missionaries everywhere and churches everywhere. And so that's what makes the difference, the word of God. That's why it's called the word of the kingdom. and We'll get to that in just a moment. But here, other appellations or uh, nomenclature associated with the church. Churches of Christ, the church, the body, the temple of God, the bride of Christ, the church of the living God, the house of God, the house of Christ, And the kingdom. And that's what we're focusing on today. Is the idea of the kingdom. For unto us a child is born. For unto us the son is given. And the government will be upon his what? His shoulder. He'll support the government. What's that mean? He's going to support Republicans and Democrats? No. He's not talking about that kind of a government. But he's talking about the leadership of that kingdom. The authority that resides within the kingdom that he was going to build. And notice as he says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And then we, as we continue at the very bottom, it says, from that time forward, even forever. That's what Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 says. In the days of those kings he will establish a kingdom and it will stand forever. And here he is saying again in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. It's going to stand forever. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 beginning of verse 18. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it ever. It'll stand. Nothing can defeat the Lord's church. It's indestructible. Why? Why? In 1 Peter chapter 2, or 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 22, the Bible tells us that the seed, the word of God, is indestructible. And then we call attention to the fact that in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is telling the parable of the sower who's sowing the seed. And the seed is what? The word of God. And that produces after its kind. Every seed produces after its kind. We read about that in Genesis chapter 1. The seed produces after its kind. So if you plant an orange seed, it's going to grow apples, right? No, it produces after its kind. It produces orange. So if you plant The seed, the word of God in someone's heart. What comes up? A Christian. A follower of Christ. That's what it produces. A child of God. And nothing other. So we find that indestructible seed is what powers the church. And that church... Is the pillar and ground of the truth according to 1st Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. So it's all connected. While the truth produces a Christian and a Christian is added to the church, the church is to be the pillar and the ground upholding the seed, the word, the truth. And of course, in Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible tells us, That the church is to make known the manifold wisdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's just saying it this way. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what that means. Preaching the manifold wisdom of God or preaching the gospel. Either way, same thing. The church has that responsibility. So... Who's the church? The four walls of this building? No, we are. It's your responsibility, my responsibility to go into all the world. And here we are in this little world of gore. We need to share that gospel message, that word with others. So as we think about the kingdom and we think about its eternal authority, authority, the fact that it's indestructible. Again, a kingdom that will stand forever; it will never be destroyed. And then in chapter seven, dominion, rule, authority, and a kingdom. Who ever heard of a kingdom without authority or rule or dominion? All right. Who ever heard of a kingdom without a king? Jesus Christ is king of His kingdom. Is kingdom. He's he's king of you and me. He's our sovereign. And only him. Not the Democrat Party. Not the Republican Party. Not America. As grand as those things are. Jesus Christ is king. We take our marching orders from him. And no one else. And so a kingdom according to Daniel 7. Will never be destroyed. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In other words, it cannot be removed. That's the idea. It cannot be removed. And that's the point that Daniel is making in all those passages as well as here. We just talked about the four kingdoms that would be established. Where are those kingdoms today? Yes, the city of Rome is still standing, but the kingdom of Rome is not. You understand that? There's a difference between a city and a kingdom. Kingdom, we talk about, well, it's got parameters, uh, uh, the kingdom goes from from Rome until uh, India, and down to Asia Minor, and back up into Europe, uh, into England, and that's the the, the the layout of the kingdom. Well, that's the physical kingdom. But when God told Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to take your kingdom away from you. What did he mean? That he was going to take his land from him? No. That he was going to take his authority, his rule, his power from him. That he would no longer be ruling. No longer have authority. So a kingdom that cannot be destroyed And a kingdom that stands forever, that's the authority. Those four kingdoms, their authority are extinct now. They've gone the way of the dinosaur. But Jesus' kingdom stands forever. And it cannot be destroyed. That's the whole point in all of this, as we consider the idea of kingdom. To him be glory in the church. In the ecclesia by Christ, Jesus to all generations, for how long? Forever and ever. Amen. The church is forever and ever. To the saints and faithful brethren. Now, he's not saying there is a group of people called the saints and a group of people called the faithful brethren. He's just saying two words meaning the same thing, again, called parallelism. They're synonymous to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. That's to whom Paul addressed this letter to. And then he says, What? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his dear son or of the son of his love. So we are in the kingdom because the Ephesian Christians, those saints, And faithful brethren were in the kingdom. And if we did what they did. We will get what they got. And if they got the kingdom. And are in the kingdom. Where are we? In the kingdom. Because we're in the church. Because we did exactly what they did. God is no respecter of persons. Right? So he expects us to do what they did. And if we do what they did. And they got heaven. Well if we do what they did. We'll get heaven. That's what makes the difference. That's why we can say. Look at the church down the road. What do they do? What do they preach? What do they worship? How do they worship? It comes down to authority. Whatever you do. In practice. And in preaching. Do all in the name, the authority of the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. We have no authority on our own. I have no authority to preach anything other than what God tells me to preach and teach here in this world. Neither does the Lake Road Church of Christ. Neither do the elders who oversee the Lake Road Church of Christ. Neither do any of the Christians who gather together on the Lord's name have any right to add or take away or to pervert or distort the word of God. We're all to be guided by the same thing as these people were, the word of God, the word of God. And so we are in the kingdom, which is his body, which is his church. John says, I'm your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom. You see, there's a lot of people today, 99% of the churches in Gore, preach this. When Jesus comes back, he's going to come back and he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. And it's going to be ruling from Jerusalem. That's where Jesus will rule from. Can you read that in your Bible? Absolutely not. Why? We're looking at passages that say the kingdom was existing then. Jesus is not coming to establish a kingdom. He's going to come and take the kingdom and give it back to the Father. We'll get to that in just a moment. The kingdom is existing in the first century. To the church of God, which is at Corinth. To those who are sanctified... Set apart, same word for holy, in Christ, Jesus, called to be saints. In fact, the word saint is a derivative of the word sanctified, which is the derivative of the word holy. Hagios. They all mean the same thing. We use different English words to identify them, but they all mean the same thing. Sanctified, holy, set apart, Saints. There's one congregation. There's one. There's one group of people that think that there are saints who are better than all the other saints. Actually, there's no other saints. They're just better than all the other people. We call them saints, and we idolize them. And then there's the rest of us, <laughs> right? Well, no, we're all saints. We're all part of the priesthood of God. We're all part of the sainthood, if you will, of God. If you have been justified and sanctified by the blood of Christ, you are holy. You are sainted. You are sanctified. That's the idea. Now, here's what I was talking about. Then comes the end when He, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father for He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. So, Then comes the end. What's that? The end of time. The second coming. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. The kingdom is in existence. And he's going to deliver it back to the Father. Who's the kingdom? You and me. Who's the kingdom? The ecclesia. The called out ones. Who's the kingdom? The church of Christ. Who's the kingdom? The church. Who's the kingdom? The body. Who's the kingdom? The people of God. All those expressions, all those phrases mean the same thing. And he says, I'm going to give the kingdom, the people of God, back to God. But notice this. This is very important about Jesus Christ. Once he does that, after death has been destroyed, And all authority has been, has stamped out all the enemies and the last enemy being death. Jesus comes and he says, here, Father, here are your people. Now notice what Paul says. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself will also be subject to him. Who? The Father. Who put all things under him that God, the Father, Maybe all in all. So after he gives back, Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and earth now. Then he gives the kingdom back to the Father. And he says, here are your people. And here is all authority that I have been given, that you have given me, is now given back to you. And then Christ subjects himself to the Father for how long? Forever. Why? Because he's one of you. He's one of me. He's one of us now. That's what Jesus gave up. Not only did he die for your sins, but he gave up an an eternal attribute. Being equal with God, the Father. Now he's equal with us. And just like us, we're subject to God. And now he's going to be subject to God forever. Christ loved you so much that he gave himself and did those things for you and for me. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, that's important because the kingdom is the people. It's the ecclesia, it's the church. So what's... The center part of the kingdom. The word. Christ's word. Proverbs. I'm not going to have time to go through it all. But it says. If you receive my words. And treasure my commands within you. So that you incline your ear to wisdom. You want wisdom? James tells us to pray. For wisdom. But it ain't coming unless you put your nose in the word. Where you get your wisdom from. Get it from scriptures, right. He says apply your heart to understanding. How can you ask for wisdom and then have this book we call the Bible and we put this on our, our coffee tables. Well, we don't even do that anymore, do we? Sometimes we're up, it's in the attic. It's hidden someplace. It's got dust on it. We don't even know where it is. But he says, this is supposed to be in your heart. And he tells us that we're supposed to have this understanding to be a part of the word of God, having that wisdom within our heart. And then we come into Proverbs chapter one. This was part of a bulletin a few weeks ago. Notice what Solomon writes. He says, wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. Wisdom is personified. It's personalized, becomes a person. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? Well, who are these simpletons? Who are these simple-minded people? He tells us, he says, how long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools? Now, this is God speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking this. The Holy Spirit is calling a certain group of people simpletons. He's calling them mockers. And he's calling them fools, stupid, We're not supposed to use that word. Fools hate knowledge. Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. Brother, this is his heart. Every word comes from his heart. And it's for you. It's for me. And he says, this is what makes you wise. It's not Princeton. It's not Harvard. It's not any college. It's not any education. This is the education that makes one wise. And he says, you have to understand it. You have to have this in your heart. He says, I've called you so often. How? Through the word. Time and time again, what did he do? He sent. He sent prophets. He sent judges. He sent preachers. He sent apostles. He sent teachers. He sent other prophets. He sent Jesus. He says, I've been calling you and calling you. It's like, it's like mom or dad calling you for supper. Doug, 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 and I ain't coming home. I'm having too much fun with my friends. He said, I'm calling you. And you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction that I've offered. So now notice this. I want just to be on your heart. This is important. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. Oh, I got cancer. I've got Corona-19, COVID-19. I've got a bad heart. I'm in trouble. Lord, help me. But I've rejected this over and over again, and I never study it. I never read it because it's not that important to me, even though I claim to be a part of the kingdom. Even though I claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, I reject and ignore his word. So God says, who are you to call on me? Who are you? I will laugh when you're in trouble. I will mock you. You are nothing to me. Why? Because you made him nothing to you. Because you would not love the truth. That's exactly what Paul says. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. and verse 10. He says they were deceived. By unrighteousness. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. And when you don't have the love of the truth. Guess what? You don't go to Bible class. And you have a very hard time. Coming to church. But the church, the people, is where instruction is involved. And where the Bible is read. It's where we get our wisdom. And people reject it. And then he says, when you cry for help, notice what he says. I'm not going to answer you. Why should I? See, we treat Jesus, we treat God like he's some sort of genie. That when in times of trouble, I just call upon him. He's my little puppy on a string. You come right over to me when I need you. But when things are good and I'm away from you for a little while, I let you go, your own way. I'll call you again some other time when I really need you. We really need him every hour of every day. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be devoted to Jesus Christ. To do what he says. If, if I have this in my word, in my heart, I'm doing what he's asked me to do. And I want to be doing what he's asked me to do. And I want to be a part of the people that believe in him and that follow him. I want to. They're my family. That's what he's talking about. This is the family of Christ. That's another word that we use to describe the church. The ecclesia, the people of God. So, as we close, and I know we're going a little bit over time. I'll have to cut back next week. He says, Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me, for they hated knowledge. That's why Learn that stuff. It's all baby stuff. That's for children. Bible classes for children. Don't you know that, Ken? Yeah. You know there was a song years ago by Pat Benatar: "Hell is for children." It's just a myth for little children to keep them in line. Bible classes for children. Hell's for children. Church is for children. And I look at the men, the males species among us. And it's the male species who say, oh, church is really for women. That's why you have more women coming to church than you do men. It's a sissy thing. Was Jesus a sissy? Going to the cross to do what he did for you and for me? I'm afraid not, folks. That was a man, a bold man and yet we can treat him with contempt because we don't want to hear about the knowledge and the wisdom he's trying to give us that's why we have Bible classes that's why we have Bible studies and I'm here you know I'm not doing a lot these days you could call me up and say hey Doug could you study with me can you help me can can we look at this together? I'm here for that. The elders are here for that. We can have Bible studies all the time. But we don't. And so Paul says, because they receive not the love of the truth. So we'll skip around. If you abide in my word, continue, remain. You are my disciples indeed. In other words, you are truly my disciples. So who are the true disciples? Think about that. Those who continue in his word. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It was true then, and it's true now. Things haven't changed. There's nothing new under the sun. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's grace. That's all grace. But notice what he says. If, oh, there's a condition here. If indeed you continue in the faith. So here we have everybody wants grace. Grace. I love grace. Grace saves me. I'm a sinner. We all understand that. But we all desire to have grace. Because we do sin. But he says you got to continue in the faith. He says here's grace. Here's what I've done for you. I've reconciled you back to the Father. It's through my my cross. the, the, The shedding of my blood. I've done all of that for you. If indeed you continue in the faith. Grounded. And steadfast. And are not moved away. We got to love this. As much as we love Jesus. Because this comes from Jesus. This is his heart. And he's saying. Grab a hold of my heart. And if you do that. Oh. The blessings. That you will be showered with. Are immeasurable. And they're coming your way. If you do. Count on. Because those are promises he's given that will happen. So we say that to say there is a kingdom. There is a church that Jesus built. It belongs to him. And it's guided by the word of his kingdom. And if we follow the word of his kingdom and we continue in that word, we remain in his grace. We remain in his love. And we will be showered with blessings. Do you believe it? If you do believe it, then I'm going to ask you this. Perhaps you've wandered from the truth. Perhaps you have not loved the truth as you should have. Jesus says all you have to do is come back home and do that. Implement the truth in your life. There might be some here today who desire that, but have not been a part of the church because you have not been baptized into Christ. You can do that today. So by faith, if you desire to be a part of his kingdom and to grow in his word, the word of his kingdom, once you come forward as together we stand and sing.